Hey guys, it's Sophia, the host of this podcast, and I'm just going to remind you guys that we have three other podcasts in the Girl Boss Radio Network. Uh, the most recent is called Jen Gotch is OK Sometimes, which drops on Tuesdays every week. It's uh, Jen Gotch of Bandos. Very personal kind of diary, audio diary of her life living with mental illness and her just interesting way she sees the world, which we're all so lucky to have access to. And then self-service our uh self-care podcast with Jericho Mandibur, our editorial director here at Girlboss. And the other show is called Lip Stories in partnership with Sephora Collection. And that has great guests like Jen Rubio from Away Luggage, uh, Sarah Rob O'Hagan of Flywheel Sports, and some other really great women. So go check them out anywhere podcasts are found. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Nikki and Brie Bella, also known as the Bella Twins, are entrepreneurs, influencers, WWE stars, and reality stars. The Bella Twins got their start in WWE back in 2008. There are very few women who have impacted the WWE universe the way the Bella Twins have. And I even think as like women wrestlers, there's a lot of time men would be like, put us in a headlock. Like it was just like always like a weird size up thing. And I'm always like, damn, sometimes being a woman, we have so many more obstacles and barriers to break. But I guess that's why it feels so damn good when we do it. Nikki and Bree stirred up WWE from the start with their signature twin magic and each respectively earned a Divas title during their time in the WWE between 2011 and 2012. More recently, they participated in the first ever Women's Royal Rumble, a monumental event in WWE history that forever changed the lives and careers of women in wrestling. Like you couldn't help but have this smile on your face like I'm a part of history and I'm being treated as an equal. And it was just a historic moment for women. And now because of that we will get the Royal Rumble every year and it's just so exciting outside of the ring Nikki and Brie have thrived as the stars of the hit e-reality show Total Divas and now on their own family show Total Bellas this season is so hard and I've gotten now that I've gotten backlash but people have thought like my breakup has been fake that I'm doing it for ratings and it's like I'm giving you my life and like Did I choose not to take out footage of our breakup and my bad times where you totally see me just like, just totally having a breakdown? I leave that stuff in because I know so many people go through that. And it's been an emotional season and for me, it is so hard to relive. 
They also have two businesses, Birdie Bee, their apparel line, and Bella Radici, their own wine company. Today, they are here to talk about what they learned from being part of one of the most tightly run brands on earth, how they balance personal lives with business, and their tips for fellow entrepreneurs. We'll get to our conversation with the Bellas in just a second. But first, Maggie and I are going to talk a little bit about what's going down here in the Girl Boss office this week because I've been in and out, way too much travel, and I'm overdue for an update. Maggie, what is passive aggression? It's probably the worst thing that you can probably you can experience not only in your life but at work especially. It's in it's essentially someone in with giving you an insult with a sarcastic undertone or it's it's an angry behavior done with a smile. You know, so it's very confusing and conflicting. It's someone mm-hmm. that doesn't doesn't really tell you what they want, but they just kind of assume with a bit of an undertone. Mm-hmm. Um, Continually showing up late is one of the things. Isn't that weird? I actually didn't know that either. Well, I guess I'm no. kind of passive aggressive. See, for me, that doesn't feel passive aggressive. For me, it's like all about attitude and how people yeah. talk to you or respond to you. And that's, I think, where passive aggression really takes a toll. That's the fair. other thing I learned, too, while reading this on the site is that not only showing up late, but um, also just accepting an assignment and then not really doing it or assuming someone else is going to just take over and do it for you is also Mm -hmm. a form of passive aggression at the workforce. That's so interesting. I know. Well, because it makes your team Mm -hmm. mates feel like they can't rely on you and you're going to make everybody look bad because you're not getting the job done or they have to take it on for you, which is just like they're not going to like you as a result of it and you're you're like basically dumping work on their plate that like their boss might not have assigned exactly. them or that's not even yeah. theirs it can be actions not just words which i didn't yeah. even realize or inaction right or inaction so it's, what are the there's three reactive categories there's yeah so what is the, the reactions that we normally give are there are three categories that you'd fall under one is the passive sufferer which is indulging your partner's passive aggression without communicating assertively so basically just letting them get away with it kind of and being like i'll take over i'll handle everything um you sit back because i don't want to deal with it then mm. there's the babysitter or rescuer you've become your partner's caretaker constantly cleaning up after their misdeeds or rescuing them from crisis or victimhood mm-hmm. so the passive one is just like you don't you don't really respond saying like this is a boundary right you, or like that's not okay you just don't want to explore it so you end up taking over everything but you're not like in i guess you're not indulging their passive aggression you're more just taking care of it so that you don't have to handle a problem at all just throwing yeah. everything under the rug kind of right. throwing it under the rug mm-hmm. and then the babysitter basically goes and tries to fix and coaxes them for the person mm-hmm. and indulges their bullshit then there's the coach and the judge where you become your partner's critic regularly telling them to change for the better or berating them for not taking responsibility Wow, that's really, then you're both really inappropriate. Right, it just, and then I just feel like that person probably escalates it to another level, which takes it far beyond passive aggression. But Sounds like a lot of extra So those work. are the three categories where you'd fall under normally. Um, on the piece, they're actually recommending to try something new and remove emotion and react with empathy. So... Uh, for example, when you're getting close to a deadline and your coworker has once again failed to finish um, that thing on time, tell them you value their input and you would like to talk about how to come up with a solution together. You're pointing it out while being proactive and yeah, with an yeah, empathic. not attacking. Yeah, mm-hmm. not like frustrated or, or 
basically giving them what they mm-hmm. want, which is like, okay, you're not doing this because you don't like respect me or this place. But if they see you behave, like react to mm-hmm. that, that's like maybe what they want consciously, consciously or unconsciously. Exactly. And sometimes that will wake them out of it and be like, oh, okay, I am doing something wrong and, and people are noticing. I need mm-hmm. to, to fix my act. But if they don't, then that's when you communicate the problem directly and say like these, th- this action or what you're saying is hurtful and I'm just addressing it head on and calling them out for that behavior. Well, this is super interesting, and I think it's something that a lot of us deal with. I know that our audience has reached out asking for a lot of advice on Mm -hmm. this because you find this in the workplace. You find this in all kinds of professional environments. You find this when there's someone on your team who should be a teammate is actually the one who's, like, taking credit for your Mm -hmm. work or speaking up in meetings or making you seem like you're contributing less than you actually are or Mm -hmm. other examples, I guess, of passive aggression. And it's it's not easy because... At work, you can't just, you know, like give up that friendship or just leave them behind because you're going to see them. You're going to interact every day. You can't avoid them like you would with like another friendship or someone you meet outside of work. So, Maggie, if our listeners want to go read the full piece, what's the title? Where how can they search for it? What's what's it called? Search help. My passive aggressive coworker is ruining my otherwise lovely job. And that's at girlboss.com. Now, get ready to hear from entrepreneurs, influencers, wrestlers, and reality stars, Nikki and Brie Bella. So you're Brie. I'm Brie. And you're Nikki. Yes. Do people get you guys confused a lot? They used to until she paid $6,500 for those, and then it's been easy. Yeah, whatever. You're just jealous. (laughs) Um, Well, no, Brie won't admit it, but she was like... So skinny for so long. She was like, before even though baby. we're identical twins, she just was always a smaller twin. So people would be like, oh yeah, that's Nikki, the bigger one. I'd be like, excuse me? Like, yeah, more athletic, sure. But <laughs> but now people get us more mixed up because since she's had a baby, everyone's like, whoa, you guys look so identical now. I'm always like, I don't know how to take that, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and you guys grew up in San Diego. Yes. Well, so we um, we were born there, but we did majority of raising up in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. But been back so, since yeah. yeah senior year. Mm-hmm. And you were pretty athletic as kids growing up. Yeah, we were. You played soccer. Mm-hmm. So we played soccer for eleven years competitively. So it was kind of crazy being super young and like traveling across the U.S. And that's why I think it was like natural to become WWE wrestlers because yeah. it was like we would beat each other up all the, all time, the time and then we played soccer and it just felt right and we beat our <laughs> brother up so we tag him tag team him a lot so that's what made us a good tag team be careful team. how you say that Brian. I know sounds very bad yes. yeah. do you guys feel like sometimes that the fact that you're women but are so accomplished like do you feel because I was in a I was in a car actually and it's always creepy when like the driver googles you like I, I had like a driver pick oh. me up to take me to the airport that like the conference organizers had put together so like they gave him my name and he was like I saw you on the Today Show it was so cute (laughs) I was like so he like looked me up watched a video of me on Google and then of all the things like you could find out by Googling me he said that like my appearance on the Today Show was cute and of course this is like in front of my boyfriend which is especially weird but Mm -hmm. it's like do you feel like people in the same way with the, the sports bra kind of that being the conversation rather than winning 
Well, I think for me, it started like when my ex-fiance and I got engaged and even when we were together, it started like here I accomplished so much in my career and I've been there for almost 12 years, but everything turned into like, oh yeah, that's John Cena's girlfriend. That's John Cena's fiance. And even when I started to meet people and whether they'd like Google me or whatever, that's like what they recognized me for, or like that was my accomplishment. And I couldn't help. And I, and I don't know if it is being, you know, a strong woman or an entrepreneur, but it would kind of frustrate me because I, I was more than that. And I always was. And I, that was like really frustrating that like, so wait, yeah, all my accomplishments Nikki go out of, exactly. Like, or just oh, is like, that guy, that's Nikki Bell's fiance. Right. Like, yeah. But it shouldn't be an accomplishment. And that was probably that the past year and a half has been really, t- was really tough on me. Yeah. Right. And I even you think know. as like women wrestlers, there's a lot of time men would be like, put us in a headlock. And I would always be like, <laughs> what? Like you want to wrestle me? Yeah. It's like, you don't say my husband's a professional wrestler too. It's like, you don't ask my husband, Daniel Bryan, to put you in headlock. You're asking me. And it's almost like, because you don't think it would hurt you. You don't think, like, it was just, like, always, like, a weird size-up thing. And I'm always like, damn, sometimes being a woman, we have so many more obstacles Mm -hmm. and barriers to break. But I guess that's why it feels so damn good when we do it. But it's like... (laughs) Do you feel like... Because you guys are both really beautiful and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you take care of yourselves. Like, you're, you know, you're, like, sexy ladies. But you're also really professional. Like, you you have these jobs. And mm-hmm. to, like, a certain kind of person, like, oh, ladies wrestling becomes this, like, weird fetishized thing. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's, like, a weird thing. Do you feel like sometimes people feel like they're closer to you or can, like, say weird stuff or, like, be inappropriate because, like, your job is, like, touching other people? Yeah. yeah. Like, I can imagine that's, like, uncomfortable. Oh, oh yeah. Totally. Um... I think especially because Brie and I have been there for almost 12 years and the old perception of us women wrestlers, they would call us divas, the divas, they really wanted us to promote the sex appeal of it. So I felt like it totally opened doors for men and other people to treat us that way. And that's what's been so amazing about the women's revolution that's happening at WWE is we're finally almost demanding respect and showing the world that we are equal to the men. And I have noticed in the past few years of us actually recognizing that and dropping the name Diva and being called a WWE superstar like the men, that a lot of that's gone away. Like it rarely happens now because before... You know, even when we do matches, they're like, pull more hair, try to get a, you know, slap a butt in there. And so it was like, I don't want to say like we ever deserved what came back at us, but that's what we were giving the perception to the crowd of this is what we do or we'd have best body contests. And now that that's gone away and we really truly do what the men do and we go out there, we wrestle, we have serious storylines. It's it's crazy how it's changed and, and not to be called divas anymore, which is amazing. So... But I do think because it is a physical sport and you do see us in small outfits, you know, throwing each other around, there is that fetish. And I think people can't help but like make kind of crude comments about it because there's no way they're saying it to like a NASA scientist like, Mm -hmm. ooh, baby, you know, like throw that chemical on me or something crazy. (laughs) Just doesn't, you know, go hand in hand. And you have to admit, I mean, and I think I'm weird, too, because like when I'm in a fight... Well, do I need to put on meaning, earmuffs? Like there'd be some girls that we'd fight very aggressively, and I loved it. It was almost like a turn on, like just to be like, like one of my best friends, Natty. She's a W superstar. There, we would love wrestling each other because we wouldn't really have boundaries or limits. We're like, 
just hit me as hard as like if you want to hit me as hard as you can, you can. And I loved it. I think that's why I'm so addicted to the sport. Well, you know, it's so crazy because my sister and I were athletes, but you know, we gave all of our time and dedication to soccer. And soccer, yes, the women were starting to really, you know, create professional, you know, teams and a league did come, but also all those women had second jobs. So I think as soccer players, it was never like, oh, I can't wait to be a professional soccer player because, you know, they can make a living off it. You couldn't. So we kind of never had, never knew what we wanted to be. I think my sister and I both were one. Wonder- you could speak for yourself. Well, <laughs> we just didn't have any connection to anything. I know I was a wanderlust. I was kind of trying to figure out life, um, but I was also just kind of enjoying it moment by moment. And when I, we had to be like 18 or 19 and I saw wrestling, there was this instant connection and there was a program they had called Diva Search where they were looking for women wrestlers. And everyone always called my sister and I like the Basham brothers who were like a, t- a legit tag team in WWE and stuff just because we always acted like these wrestling girls in a way, you know? It was the first time I ever had a connection with something where I was like, whoa, that makes sense in my life. Like... There's storytelling, so there's that acting aspect, which is entertainment, and then there's athletics, which my sister and I are naturally athletic, and it just made sense, and it is kind of crazy how you can just go through life and just kind of be like lost, and then something can click, and it clicked in, you know, our early 20s. It's in your early 20s, and you've been at this for, you said 12 years? 12 years. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so amazing. It's, I, it's crazy to me. Time flies. Nikki and Brie were both part of the WWE's first ever Women's Royal Rumble. They revealed what that iconic moment was like for them and how it has changed things for women in the WWE. So we have a pay-per-view every year and it's called the Royal Rumble and it's always promoted around the men. So there's 30 men that um, you don't know who's going to come out. They have like, is it 90 seconds in between each person Mm -hmm. that comes out? And um, it's just, it's always been one of my favorite pay-per-views the WWE puts on because I get, you you usually get people from the past or maybe someone who hasn't debuted yet that you don't know that's going to come out of, onto the ramp, come out from Gorilla. And so... The women have never had this opportunity, and this year we did the first ever Women's Royal Rumble, and they gave us the same rules as the men, because I think at first they were thinking about, maybe we'll just do 20 girls, and how you eliminate people is you go over the top rope, and what's really cool about the Royal Rumble is if you win it, you have a guaranteed match at WrestleMania. You eliminate them by throwing them out of the ring? Out of the ring, over the top rope. Over the top. Okay. So at first with the women, they're like, well, maybe we'll have them go underneath the rope. And they well, were like, just like you know, roll them off the yeah, edge. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they thought about the equality. And it's like, no, let's treat the women exactly like the men. So 30 women, you get eliminated over the top rope. And whoever win, ha- wins has a guaranteed match at WrestleMania, which is our Super Bowl. And I can't tell you, we had a lot of, we had some women from the past. And then we had some from f- uh, the future at, over at NXT. But the emotions of all the women, because we work so hard for something like that, and to be a part of that for a few days, because we had rehearsals a few days before, and then when we came out there, it was just, the energy, even with the crowd, was so incredible, because it was just like, you couldn't help, even if you were a bad girl, as in your character was a bad guy, and you're a heel, like, you couldn't help but have this smile on your face, like, I'm a part of history, and I'm being treated as an equal, and then to, like, top it off, we have Ronda Rousey come out at the end, Mm -hmm. and pretty much make her claim that I'm here in WWE, and I'm gonna join the women's division, look, I even get chills when I think about it, and it was just a historic moment for women, and now... 
because of that, we will get the Royal Rumble every year. And it's just so exciting. And I have to say, the women outperformed the men that Yes, night. we did. <laughs> I agree. So, have you guys taken acting classes? Like, how do you become, like, a WWE wrestler? Like, you know, obviously, yeah. you probably have to start with having a personality. Like, you can't invent that. Right. Yeah. But, totally. like, there's a whole kind of, like, character that's built around who you are. And people kind mm-hmm. of buy into it. And they root for you. And, and yeah. that's why people follow sports. But, like, how do you go about about like creating that persona and what have you had to like hone personally or teach yourself to be so good at what you do? Well, we're lucky because WWE has their own developmental program. And when they were interested in, well, when Nicole and I were interested in them and they were interested back, we started their developmental program. There's so much to it. I agree. But we had amazing um, coaches to help us. And I think what we learned the most, and I actually learned this um, from my ex, John, was the crowd interaction, but the connection with the audience. And that's how I felt like we, you truly built your character was what does the crowd connect to? And the minute they connect, like, how can I grow this larger than life and keep them connected? And it's really difficult to deal with that because we're dealing with crowds in different cities, countries, towns. So you're trying to connect with this worldwide audience. But the minute you have that connection, your character becomes larger than life and also becomes successful. And it's crazy because learning that is why I feel Bree and I have been successful outside of the ring and all our different businesses because everything we do, we learn first about crowd connection, mm-hmm. consumer connection, audience connection. Who's listening? Yeah. yeah. Like yep. speak into the listening. It's like exactly. you have to know how to read a room or how to read a market for a product or right. how to read a crowd. Totally. Yeah. That Always seems much scarier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's live and you have Vince McMahon watching behind the curtain. <laughs> I was like, I am on like really good training. I could like go anywhere because Vince McMahon, not only is he one of my biggest inspirations, but he is very scary. And he doesn't want to be scary, but he's just intimidating in a way because you know he's so smart and intelligent. And, and then he's like buff you know what I mean and he has this confidence to him and you're just like uh hi Vince um, I imagine the rock is kind of like that yeah like yes. he seems really smart but he's also like 10 feet tall and like five feet wide yeah. he has so much charisma but he, for some reason it makes him very inviting like you feel like you could ask him like 100 questions like unlike Vince I just want to ask him like from 50 feet away or like through someone (laughs) Dwayne I feel like I could actually walk up and ask him (laughs) so are the fights scripted like do you know who's going to win in the end like do you is it choreographed yeah in some way we do have like predetermined finishes and because of our character development we go in and we're like okay so tonight like the good guy we just really want the crowd to end tonight feeling really bad for the good guy and really mad at the bad guy for doing this so you do we go in and we're, we know the story we want to tell in the match we come up with our finish and then we go out and perform it but you always have to think on your feet because you might go out there and the crowd's not feeling it and you and your opponent just need to know like we got to change this like mm. something we can't let we can't have the crowd just sitting there not enjoying it you want them to always walk away and be like that was really great um so you do always have to think on your feet which is why we're trained but when it comes to the moves you know you can't completely script that because first off you might go out there and look at your opponent and they're like uh i'm terrified i don't want to do so we always talk out there some people just freeze oh yeah oh goodness it's yes. pretty incredible and 
And there's even times I've been out there and I'm like, I have no idea what we talked about, <laughs> but you're going to talk to me, right? That can definitely happen. So it's, it's just incredible the kind of dance you do with someone out there, but the talking that's happening the whole time. So there isn't mess ups. Have you guys been injured on the job? Yeah, I am. I mean, I've had quite a bit of injuries, but probably my biggest is I broke my neck in the ring and I had to get a bone fusion. And I was told like my career was done, that I can never wrestle again. And I came back seven months later, which was, you know, a big deal because no one expected me to come back. And I did this surprise return at our second biggest pay-per-view of the year called SummerSlam. You know, I was very lucky that I didn't get paralyzed. And when I went, I found this surgeon and he was just a miracle worker. Like he created a miracle on my neck. And it was weird hearing the words like your career's over. And I was like, no, it's not. And even after surgery, my surgeon was like, Nikki, look, you have had an amazing career. Like just look into other things. And I was like, that's my passion. Like I want to say when I'm done. So I worked really hard for seven months and how I healed. They let me come back in the ring and. They did. They, like, definitely checked you out. They weren't like, here's a large sum of money for you to come back. Oh, my gosh. No, we have the strictest wellness policy at WWE. They they truly, like, watch over their talent and our health. And so I had to, to, like, have so many scans and MRIs to make sure that I was okay and train under a doctor's supervision for two weeks in the ring before I was even allowed in the ring. But that it was definitely scary, too, just... Because, you know, having that happen, and I remember going into that surgery just feeling really scared and nervous because even when they work on your neck, like, they can... opening your neck up. Yeah, and they can make one wrong move and you could come out paralyzed. And, like, you're signing all this away, like, just so you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, okay. Like, I just had never felt so scared before. But then coming out of surgery and... Hearing the news that, like, I was okay and it went great, I, like, had told the doctor that, like, I want to work on my cellulite, and then all of a sudden the nurse came in and I invited her on a double date, <laughs> and I guess, I don't remember it, but I was just saying the most ridiculous things ever because I was, like, oh, so happy, were, like, but I was under anesthesia still. Up. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I was like, how does a doctor fix cellulite? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you ever scare your parents? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I still scare uh, When I came back for the Royal Rumble... My mom, um, because they weren't about to let me compete because of my neck. And again, I had to go through so much testing and all this type of stuff. And I was like, please, I'll be careful. And I'll tell all the girls that can't hit me from behind because there was another female that just recently had to retire for good. And she had the same surgery as me and we have the same hardware. And so I was like, I'll be fine. And my mom, through the whole match, it's funny because it was actually aired on Total Bellas last night, a reality show. And I didn't get to see my mom's reactions when I was in the ring. And like, she's like holding her face. She's freaking out. On Nikki and Bree's show, Total Bellas, they both share so much of their lives. I asked them a little bit about their show. If you would have asked Nicole and I like, six years ago, like, hey, you guys are going to star in a reality show. We had been like, what? No way. <laughs> I mean, I would have been like, I don't think people want to watch my life. And I just didn't think she did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. And um, I was like, I don't know if I really want to showcase how I am. So, <laughs> But it's weird how it just, when we started filming, Nicole and I were so comfortable in front of the cameras. Kind of too comfortable. We're like, geez, like, <laughs> we have no filter and um, we don't really care what we say. But, um, 
it just worked for us. It it was easy. Yeah. We looked at all the positives of reality television. We get paid to hang out with each other and our family, which we were like, this is awesome. We looked at it as with, you know, Birdie B and Bell Radici, that it's like free advertising in a way. And I think, you know, Bree and I, what we realized, I remember that when it was offered to us, we didn't immediately say yes. We were like, we need time to think about this. And I remember her and I having a conversation saying, like, if we do this, we do have to be open books because... You know, with other reality shows, it's clear as day when people are trying to make themselves look a certain way because they are on TV or if they're holding back. And you could read through that and it kind of turns you off and you just don't want to tune right. into that programming. So even on Total Divas, I think why Bree and I started to stand out was we were just open books and we were relatable girls and we kind of knew like people are going to love us or hate us. And that's how we got our spin off. And the one thing for her and I is like, Everyone goes through stuff in this world. Like, there is not one person that's perfect. And we kind of told each other when we put so much real life out there, I was like, Brie, if we can help one person who's sitting on the couch tuning in, knowing that they're not alone, then you know what? For me, right. we've made it. That's my purpose. And that's what I want to do. And that's how we have to look at reality TV. We'll be back with Nikki and Brie in just a moment. But first, let's talk about Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. And Maggie, we've both taken classes on Skillshare. What did you take Mm -hmm. a class about? I took a class on how to develop your brand personality. I have a regular personality, but branding it and using it online is just a world that I'm not comfortable with. So this is a really good step in that direction of saying like, hey, it's okay to post things about yourself or say certain things, but there's a language and a type that um, people are really drawn to. It's very interesting. It's so interesting how we have to like present ourselves Mm -hmm. a certain way so that like, uh, you know, even a potential employer could be looking at your Instagram profile and like trying to surmise like who you are what kind of person you are and it's Mm -hmm. like we used to just be able to be the people that we are but now we all have to like put on this whole other thing like extra work just to be ourselves anyway there's a lot to learn there it's true and the best part is that they don't tell you to not be yourself they're just helping you coax and building what you already have that Mm -hmm. are that beautiful basis so very interesting I took one because I have three poodles (laughs) on how to read your dog's body language which Mm. I mean they can't talk and they could be in pain Mm -hmm. they could be hungry they could have to poop and you could save yourself cleaning up poop or like a much sicker dog if your dog's body language tells you that it's not feeling so hot so anyway we can communicate with animals I'm down for Uh, so thank you Skillshare your doctor do little I'm Mrs. Doolittle, thanks to Skillshare. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Girlboss. We have so much more with Nikki and Brie coming up, but first let's talk a little bit about ShipStation. We love ShipStation. Mm-hmm. We basically have made up a jingle about ShipStation, which we will sing for you <laughs> at the end of this conversation. But um, ShipStation, if you don't know what it is, is an online 
platform that allows you to ship and get your orders out as quickly as possible. And they allow you to import everything into one easy interface on your computer, on your phone, pretty much anywhere that you can look at something on a screen. Mm -hmm. And they import your orders from everything from Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, and over 75 other popular selling channels so that your orders all go into one place. You push a button, it prints out the labels, and you take it in or arrange for a pickup for mm-hmm. all of your orders to go out and allows you to keep your customers super duper happy. And we use it here, right, Maggie? Actually, the other day, I was running around on my phone in LA. It's literally, you're in your car sometimes for hours, and we had to get something out, and it was just super easy. To, it was my first time using it um, via my phone. Very, very easy. And sometimes I can get lost with apps and online, and so basically, desktop, phone, where Forever, it was very easy to use. Thank God. So we all need ShipStation, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we can all have ShipStation right now. Try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GirlBoss. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GirlBoss. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GirlBoss. ShipStation. Make, Make ship happen. happen. Nikki recently went through a very public engagement and subsequent public breakup with John Cena. I know firsthand how hard it can be to go through a breakup or other crisis in the public eye while running a business. Nikki gave her advice on how to keep focused on your work when you're going through a deeply difficult personal time. This season is so hard and I've gotten, not that I've gotten backlash, but people have thought like my breakup has been fake, that I'm doing it for ratings. And it's like, I'm giving you my life and like, did I choose not to take out footage of our breakup and my bad times where you totally see me just like not having a midlife crisis what's like just just totally having a breakdown I leave that stuff in because I know so many people go through that and um, they can learn through that and it's been an emotional season and it for me it is so hard to relive but I can't tell you also how many people have reached out to me on like thank you like I wanted to go walk down the aisle but too scared to call it off three weeks before or, wow. or all these things because like calling your wedding off three weeks before to literally the man of your dreams is that what you did I did three weeks and it, it was you called the, it off yeah at the he had called it we have called it off twice <laughs> Um, the first time I just, he didn't want kids and I thought I could sacrifice that and it was our engagement party and I just was kind of out of it and everyone noticed it. Even the film crew noticed it. They're just like, there's something off with her. And then he and I, when the cameras were off, I had a conversation and I just kind of told him like, do you ever get that feeling like, cause he's been married before. I was like, where well, you kind of feel suffocated and like... You know, it's, I mean, I guess it's cold feet. Maybe it's not cold feet. And he's like, uh, or maybe that you're making a wrong decision. I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. But maybe I want to be a mom. So we had call, he had called it off the first time because he still didn't want kids. And so he's like, you should go find someone to have kids with. And we're very mature. We're best friends. So we had called it off. But then he had came back to me a few weeks later and was like, you know what? I don't want to lose you. I want kids. And we just jumped. I just jumped back into it, not even thinking. And then as we were getting closer to the wedding, I realized there was so many more issues that we needed to figure out. And it was just like, I just was getting to the point where I was breaking and I'm like, I shouldn't feel this way going into my marriage, into my wedding. When I say those vows, I want to mean them and know it's forever. I don't want to do this two times. I don't want to have a divorce. 
And it was just weighing on me. And all of a sudden, John always will say, it's like leaving the toilet seat up. The minute you leave it up, it's like the woman, like she just snaps and everything comes down. And all of a sudden I had that day where I just like broke down and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I just don't feel like I'm in the right place. And it was literally three weeks before we were like two weeks out from heading there. Cause we were heading to Napa Valley week before. So you had like all these people planning. Oh yeah. Wedding dress made of honor dresses. Like not only dimension, I had a knee special and our special on our wedding, like crew, like that's why when people say also it's fake, I'm like, yeah. you don't think like all the money the that other was way? gone. Yeah. Like, but I just couldn't, the pressure. Like, I wish it was fake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to fake that I was okay. That's, that was, you know, the issue, but it was, it's been the most difficult thing I've ever gone through in my life. And then having a public breakup, it, I, I yeah, was it not sucks. expecting that. It's like right? life is hard enough. And yeah. then having the whole world telling you like how they feel or what oh. they suspect right. happened or didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, what do you attribute your success to? You know, it's like a lot of athletic women could go, I don't know if you can apply or get scouted to be part of the WWE. What do you think your characteristics are that have led you to where you are today? I really think it's um, our drive and um, our determination. I think my sister and I, the one thing we learned being athletes growing up is that it takes hard work to win championships and nothing's easy. So her and I, we never thought that stuff would be given to us. We always had the mentality that we're going to have to work really, really hard, but there's going to be a payoff in some way. And um, I think always having that kind of mentality going into WWE, into everything we did, it made us successful. Right. And, you know, for me, what I, what I really think what it is, is learning early on in our careers that connection to the audience we have built this fandom that calls themselves the Bella Army and they started to call themselves that many many years ago and Bree and I embraced it and I remember when Twitter started and we're like what's this social media platform and we really started connecting with the Bella Army and I remember media outlets would call me out because I would literally go on there and stick up for these Bella Army members that were getting bullied and I I remember my bosses being like, I don't know if you should do that. And I was like, um, no, they're bullying my Bell Army members. Like, this is not okay. <laughs> and I remember the first time I got brought up in an interview and I was like, oh, you guys saw that on Instagram? Okay. Um, but I truly believe that our connection with them, that when we started our wine company, Bella Radici, and we started our Paraline Birdie Bee, they follow us and they support us and they believe in us. And I think their belief in us and our belief in them is what truly has brought, brought Brie and I success in everything we do. So you mentioned it's hard work to win championships, but you also said that like who the winner is, is like kind of planned in advance or something like what is that hard work? Like, what do you do to prepare for a championship? Well, I mean, for WWE, you know, if you have a big match, like Nikki and I, when we had a big tag match at WrestleMania, it's the grandest stage in WWE. There's so much that goes into it by training to make sure you're physically fit by mentally making sure like, this has to be the biggest match they've seen all year because why are they paying this much money for a ticket? And that's a lot of pressure. But if you can really like weeks before really sit out and like, well, sit down and plan your story. Like that's a lot of work. And we 
usually will tell a story that time probably what was a couple months out but every monday and tuesday night we had to make sure all the people watching at home all the people sitting in the arena are into our story they can't wait till the next show next week to see what's going to happen that we had to make sure that we were going to take them on this journey and every moment was going to be exciting and everything that they were seeing they were just like oh my gosh oh my god oh my gosh and we wanted them to really believe that us two and the two girls we were going against, we did not like each other. Like, we wanted them to feel like they could not wait to just see us, like, slap each other and rip each other apart. And so it takes a lot of work because yeah. we're it's mentally and physically you're doing something. So, it's a lot of preparation. Yeah. It's, it definitely is selling that championship match and making it the best. It's it's the buildup. It's the sell of the match before it starts. And then... It, it's also like the costume. So the minute that my music hits and I make that entrance, how can I get the audience engaged? And it's all about that outfit, the presence. And then once I have them engaged, it's like, okay, now I have them. Now what am I going to do in here? You guys have to, to like the best? make faces at the camera yeah. while you're getting ready. Yeah. Like, right. Like, like I started a booty shake like... on my entrance. And like <laughs> it's so like whatever, but I can't tell you how many people mock it. And they, it's like my own NFL dance. And it's like I started that 12 years ago because I knew like when I walk out, how are they all going to look at me? And for some reason then I thought like shaking, doing this turn, shake my butt type of thing was how I got them, which it, like, I remember asking a few years ago, like, since we're in this women's revolution, should I drop it? And they're like, no, you're known for it. And it's true. It's like, um, at the WWE, with your character, you have to think of every little thing you do. Like, how is that going to um, relate in the video game? Does that make me special? Wow. Like, we go way beyond. And also, you have to think, when you're out there, too, if you're a good guy and you're selling and there's a difference between getting mad as a good guy and getting mad as a bad guy. Yeah, it must be hard to be like <laughs> instead of, yeah. You're out there to like beat ass and then you're supposed yeah. to be like but you have to yeah, don't yeah. hit me totally. or something. Yeah, especially cuz you need the Some audience to see black and white. people are naturally good at it, which you were naturally good at it. I was I I it was tough for me to be that good guy. Like and I got it, but because like like my persona, like even naturally is strong, uh, strong. Mm. So for me, when I had, when they made me be a good guy, I was like, no. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, cause I just was like, I want to give that mean face all the time. Or we were the mean girls at WWE for a while. That was like our character. Oh, wow. And so it was fun. so fun. That sounds fun. It's it was so, so fun. fun. It sounds so fun like to be able to like live out yeah, the right? way you can't really behave in, totally. the, in your everyday. Totally. I like got like a crop like Letterman's jacket and I just walked around like I was the quarterback of the women's division. It was like fun to like put those type of characters in your head and portray them. Yeah. Nicole like, and I, I like we definitely like sat down because once we started dressing different, she looked like the quarterback of the football team. Um, sexy tomboy. Okay. I, no one really thought you looked like the quarterback. <laughs> Do you think that, oh gosh, people think that like women naturally like hate each other, you know? Totally. And it's like an interesting responsibility to have in your work because like your job is to kind of like make it look like that yeah. when it may not even be the case. Right. Right. How do you feel about that? Or, like, has that evolved over the years? Yeah. You know, that, like, part of your job is, like, making it look like girls hate each other or something. I mean, yeah. but, like, but also women being competitive is, like, a really good thing. Totally. Yeah. So it's it's complex. Yeah. It was really fun. I think it's really fun for the fans because 
we put out the perception of what we do is real, even though we play, um, we're like Broadway with body slams, Mm -hmm. but we're unlike any other form of entertainment out there because of the fan interaction. So I think what's fun for the fans is they, they try to figure it out like, wait, no, no, no. I think they really do hate each other guys. And sometimes we do take it to social media because it's fun because they get lost in it. So they all try to figure out, are they friends? Are they not? And don't get me wrong, sometimes you're in storylines with people that you don't like as much, and then you're sometimes in storylines with people that you're best friends. Like, I was in a storyline one time with a girl, and for some reason, our personalities as human beings just didn't click. But when we were in the ring as characters, it clicked amazing. Even though we knew how we felt about each other backstage, we didn't really like each other. And our characters didn't like each other, but for some reason we could connect on a different level when we were out there in our characters, which was awesome because that's what you really want. So I remember Everett was always like, wait, they really hate each other. And and it kind of amplified her storyline, which is great because it made more people want to watch because they thought they were about to see like a UFC fight like happen. You know, they didn't know what was going to, there was going to be blood or broken noses or what, but... That was the stuff that made it really fun. And then it was fun when you work with your best friends and you're mean. Like, you're trying not to laugh at each other. Because <laughs> I have, like, Nanny, I came back and I did a storyline with her. And, like, we get so evil with each other. And then we would just be crying laughing after it. Like, I can't believe you said that. But I also liked that about friends because you could kind of hit below the belt and know it's okay. But when you're working with people you don't like and you're on live TV, all of a sudden they'll hit below the belt that wasn't in the script. And then you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be like that. And then you oh, throw wow. in something hit below the belt and then we all get in trouble backstage. But it is amazing how people will meet us and be like, oh my gosh, you guys are so nice. And Nicole and I are always like, oh, are we not supposed to be nice? But they will go off our character. So it's funny because sometimes I'm like, Nicole, people out there must really think we're the characters they saw at WWE. Oh, like totally. They must think that's who we really are. And I'm like, how? That's a horrible way to think of the Bella twins, like as real humans, you know? Because Nicole and I are nothing but like grateful, really humble, low key humans. And it's funny because our characters weren't that. Mm-hmm. And I just think of probably how many people go to sleep at night being like, them damn Bella twins, like, and thinking those are who we are. Right. Well, and, you know, our, at WWE, they're very smart where they kind of look at your personal life and they're like, how can I take from that? And make it a part of this so it draws people in. So because I was dating the top guy and I drove a certain car or we had a hit reality show, they were like, these are the perfect mean girls. They have it all and all the others, all these other girls don't. So we're going to play Those off to girls. that. Yeah. But then I was like, wait, people think I'm being like, like, ha, huh, look what I have. And I would always try to change certain things because it kind of would embarrass me of like, I don't want to brag about this stuff. Like, I, I never liked doing that. But they loved having our characters do that. Like, talk about how you drive this and blah, blah, blah. What and, is this car? Well, a Range and a Bentley and stuff. Yeah. This one gave me, we had a For Your Consideration event last week for WWB, and I was talking about how we were relatable. We were on this panel, and then Brie interrupts me in front of 600 people that sit on the board for the Emmys and is like, relatable. Um, you drive a Bentley. You have this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you did not. You're welcome. And I said, uh, that's 11 years of hard work. Hashtag goals. Tell me about... Birdie B and Bella Radici, because you guys have two more businesses on top yeah. of everything that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> but so we were sitting on a, a plane and her and I were like, what's something that we believe in that we could really stand behind, but something that we could do till we're like 80 that doesn't require taking back bumps. So 
you know, there's this little hippie mentality in me. I'm like, well, what's people? What do people need? And we start talking about undergarments. Undergarments is something that the world's not going to all of a sudden say, you know what? We really don't need undergarments. Or when you think of a recession, my panties are blown out. I'm just going to keep wearing them. Yeah. Yeah. Or you think of a recession, people all of a sudden aren't like, well, let's stop buying underwear. Let's keep buying the t-shirts. So I was kind of coming from that mentality. My sister was like, well, something that we could really stand and make like charity work behind, make a pay for brand. So we started talking about undergarments and then the birds and the bees thinking of um, educating women, not only on sex, especially young girls, because we look at our fan base, but feminine hygiene health. And we're like the birds and the bees, birdie bee. So that's how we came up with birdie bee. And we're like, well, let's start with some lifestyle stuff and undergarments, but let's use premium fabrics because the things closest to our body, we don't realize like sometimes chemical when you're sweating, you never know what's seeping in. And to us, we wanted to make fabrics that were long lines healthy. For Brie and I, it's all about just having those quality fabrics for our consumers and Brie and I, we have our own merchandise with WWE and we were actually for a long time and I still am, but the top women sellers at WWE and that was very rare for women to do, to be hanging with the top guys on selling merchandise. And so when we came with Birdie Bee, we wanted it to be premium because we knew the fabrics that WWE already had and we wanted something way different and geared just to not not only um, the WWE audience, but also the E audience that we are getting from Total Divas and Total Bellas. And it was funny because you didn't mention, but we started to research a lot about vaginas. Yeah. And I was like, Brie, did you know that we're supposed to wear this fabric while we work out? And that we're actually supposed to wear panties when we sleep or we're going to get super dried out when we're older? Whoa. I I wear panties when you sleep? And I'm never, I sleep We always thought naked. it was the opposite. We I'm did. Like, so you're out of vagina, I didn't we're even We're still know. working on these panties, but um, for Brie and I with Birdie Bee, it's just we really want to build this community of women and have it just become this big brand. And we're so excited because we just got this new CEO. And I think you know this too, it's with your employees, it's you want people to share your passion and your vision. In the past couple years, Nikki and Bree have really grown as entrepreneurs and have a couple different businesses they're working on. One of them is their wine company, Bella Radici. I asked them why they decided to start a wine company and what differentiates it from other wine brands. We killed a lot of vineyards in Napa Valley and a lot, a lot to where people were like, do you guys want to get in the wine business? Because yeah, you drink, drink all the wine. All the wine. <laughs> And we made some really good friends in Napa Valley. Ryan Hill, who's with Hill Family State, he's the son. Tim Martin, who's with Tesco States, he is a business partner named Mark Weigard, who's incredible with branding. And we all came together and created this wine, Bella Radici, which is beautiful roots in Italian. And we were like, okay, well, let's kind of test the market and see what... The people that follow us, what they like, what varieties they like. And we did three campaign launches and all sold out. And our rosé actually oversold by 80 cases within uh, less than five minutes. The system couldn't shut down. And we're like, okay, maybe we're meant to be in the wine business. We have a passion for it. Yeah. And so what we kind of figured out, what we think our niche is going to be is Chardonnay. Even though we've done well with Red Blend and Sauvignon Blanc and Rosé. And we do have a reserve Chardonnay coming out. But we kind of realized that what was different with Bella Radici than any other wine. Like we shook the wine world was that not only do we have 80% of our consumers were women, but they were under the age of 30, buying 
nice Napa Valley wine, which is rare. And that's what kind of blew these guys away. They're like, wait, we dream of having these consumers. How did you just bring the millennials in to buy Napa Valley wine online? Mm-hmm. So now we have this guy named Rob Lloyd, who was the winemaker for Rombauer, La Crema Chardonnay, and Butter Chardonnay. Rombauer's good. Rombauer's yes, so that's yum, my right? Jam. So Love he Ron just Bauer. signed with us, and now Bellardici Chardonnay is going to be those grapes. Wow. The one thing Nicole and I realized is having these two brands is that you just have to do what you're passionate about and yeah. what drives you. Like every morning we wake up and we're excited to see, like, what can we do? What can we do that will better both Birdie B and Bella Radici? Right. And I think sometimes some people get stuck on doing things they don't love, and you'll never be successful. And um, I feel like we've found quick success with our brands because there are things that we are already passionate about. So there's a couple questions I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. And so one is, what's your Girl Boss moment? And so I'm wondering, should I ask you guys that together? Or yeah. in, uh, can I ask one of you that question? and One the, the other question? Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. So one question I ask everybody is, what does success mean to you? And that can mean financially, work, personal, but it's something different for everybody. Yeah. What does success mean? Do you want me to take this one? You take the other one or what? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Nikki, what does success mean? <laughs> um, Happiness. Because if I'm doing what the moment I wake up till I go to sleep and whatever it is I'm doing, if I'm happy to me, that's true success. And when you're happy, it doesn't matter what you have because you're happy. So that for me is like true definition of success. Agree. And then we have something called girl boss moments. We actually kick off every Monday here at the office where everyone who works here at girl boss talks about their most recent girl boss moment. And it's just the time in your most recent history that you kind of felt like you were doing things for the right reason, doing something for yourself, not just kind of living out of kind of habit or just like a a moment that you can remember where you were doing something great. My girl boss moment would be we were just in New York City um, for Media Week for Total Bellas, and I travel with my baby, and it was flight number 36 for her, and she hadn't even just turned one. For me, I had this moment in the hotel as I was getting ready. It was 5 a.m. She was still sleeping in the bed. Um, glam was starting, and I was going over my notes, and then she woke up. I'm heating the bottle. I'm feeding her, and I'm sitting there. And um, I'm giving her a bottle, but nonchalantly, like, just still doing, like, the glam. We're going over everything. And I just was like, fuck, Brie. Like, this is badass. Like, I'm very hands-on. I like to put my baby to sleep, and I like her to be with me in the morning. She won't come to meetings with me because I wouldn't torture her through that. (laughs) She's the only one. So I do have a nanny watches her when I go do my stuff. But I like to be the one to feed her. And I like to be the mom. So when she looks, she knows who mom is and she's with me majority of the time. But it was definitely a moment where it made me feel so empowered that I kind of thought to myself, like, no man can ever feel the way I feel right now. And that's true. Mm-hmm. I love. That's I love so that. so cool. Girl yeah. boss. Yeah. I mean, she yeah, actually, does blow me away. Like, one, she's been the best form of birth control because <laughs> how she's done, like, all of our, like, with our career and work and being a mom, I'm like, damn, I, I do not want to do that right now, like, oh, at funny. all, because she likes to be so hands-on. I'm very hands-on. Where I'm like, People I want a like... night nurse, I want a full-time nanny, like, I she never I'm takes doing... advantage of her nanny, like, she just always wants to be so hands-on with Birdie, which is amazing, but it's exhausting. I, mean, I don't know how she does it. I had a big dinner with all the executives of E, and I didn't have my nanny out, This um, we were in New York, 
she hadn't come out yet. And I was like, oh, I'm going to bring Birdie. I'm like, she's on the show. <laughs> and so we're at dinner, and there she is, chilling with everyone. We're just letting her play on the booth, <laughs> keep her happy. <laughs> but, I, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I feel like for my daughter, too, I think when she's older, she'll thank me for that. Thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of Girl Boss Radio, for joining us every week, for subscribing to Girl Boss Radio, to all of our other podcasts, Jen Gotcha's Okay Sometimes, Self Service with Jericho Mandibur, our editorial director, and hashtag Lip Stories. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>